you would turn to James chapter 4. It's also in your uh, bulletin or your worship guide. We'll begin reading in verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come, that you would speak. We, we've, we've made our best attempts at planning a service, and that doesn't really mean that much, Holy Spirit, unless you show up and you write your words on our hearts and you bring real change. Lord, my, my heart would be grieved if we all just came into this place and we just kind of you know, heard a few nuggets of truth and we, we left without ever having encountered you, ever having been changed. God, we need you. Speak to us. In this moment, may my words fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I did something that uh, I have not done in 15 years of preaching. And that is, I deleted my entire message uh, accidentally. Um, I, I've never, never once done that. And I was, I was going to print off my message and, uh, and Lord willing, print it off. And he was not willing. And it just it didn't print off. And not only that, but I deleted everything and it was, could not be retrieved. And I didn't have time to redo things because I, I, I had to fill in playing drums tonight and stuff. But that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't have something for us. It just means it might not be as polished. It might not be as manicured. I scribbled um, a few things down on some sticky notes up here. Uh, some points I kind of try to remember. And so we're going we're gonna to walk through this. Hopefully you'll give me grace um, as we do so. Um, when I hear James 4, one of the first things that I think of is the movie Chariots of Fire which to me is the greatest movie of all time. I, I, I love Chariots of Fire. And for those of you who don't know the story, it's about a man named Eric Little, who was the fastest runner in Scotland, fastest runner in the UK. Uh, he specialized in the 100 meters, and he was going to the Olympics, and he was widely accepted as the fastest man in the world. He, he was also a born-again believer. His parents were missionaries. He delayed going on the mission field just so he could train and to run in the Olympics. And the movie chronicles this pretty accurately if you read his biography. Well, the, uh, the qualifying day for the 100 meter ran on a Sunday. And Eric Little refused to run on a Sunday. He said, I will not do it. He said, I will, I will observe the Sabbath, I will keep it holy, and I won't run. 
They're like, well, that's, that's a pretty huge problem because you're the best runner and you need to win the 100 meters. This, this is your event. And he refused. And the Prince of Wales actually came and talked to him. Um, and all of his pomp and circumstance came before him and, uh, and really tried to pressure him into running. And said, you owe it to your king. You owe it to your country. Don't you know the powers that you've upset? You, you, you need to run. And Eric Little basically responded, I know who my king is, and I'm not going to run, because I am going to give him honor. And so he refused. And, and one of the greatest, uh, the greatest places in this movie is when uh, they show all of these athletes qualifying on that Sunday, and then they, the camera goes to him preaching at a church. And then it goes to, to them qualifying, and then it goes back to him, and it goes back and forth. And what he reads is Isaiah 40 from the pulpit. And let me just uh, read to you some of these words from Isaiah 40. He says, a voice says, cry, and, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing, an emptiness. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who who stretches out the heaven like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. That is exactly what James is addressing here. One sticky note. He's he's talking about the sovereignty of God and how that affects every decision we make. It affects how we pursue things, what we do, how we go about doing it. That, That we are to always keep in mind and everything, God. The question, do you not know or have you not heard, is appropriate for James's audience. Now, James starts the conversation by saying this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, James could have just as easily said this. Come on now, you who say, I'm going to go off to college Spend four years there, get a degree, and then go and get a job and make some money. 
Or come now, you who say, um, I'm going to get married. Wait a few years to have kids so I can uh, can travel around with my wife. And then we'll settle down and we will get our home. It's no different. It's making plans. It's it's what we do as as humans. We we make plans, and those sound like good plans. Uh, The problem is that we might make those and never see God as central to it. We might never actually consult Him and say, Lord, is this your will that I do these things? Um, As you know, I forgot to bring my my prop here. I pretty much forgot everything. Uh, The paper, the newspaper... Um, from Wednesday after the election. It was like this thick. I'm not kidding. And so you, you just had a ruler being established in the greatest nation in the world. Right? So a ruler is established. And I read the entire paper and not one reference to God. Not one. James and Isaiah would say, how, how is that possible that that all the world events that are being written about, all the local events being written about, the, the establishment of, of, a, of a ruler in the greatest nation, and you can't even mention God? You don't, you don't even see him as part of that? And we as Christians should be shocked that the central player in it all is not seen as the central player, but that he is forgotten. Forgetting God is the ultimate insult. Um, if, if y'all were to hear what, what I say here and how I preach, and then you were to, to go out and you were to be very critical of me, maybe email me some critical things or call me up or whatever, I'm fine with that. But if you go out and forget, like you can't even remember what I preach on, there, there's, there's no greater insults. Like all this time in preparation, there's, there's like I wasn't even here. And we forget about God, and it doesn't bother us. You you know, you leave someplace and forget your phone, okay? What happens? Some of you have an anxiety panic attack. If you forget your phone, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I mean, nobody can get in touch with me. How am I going to find my way around? How am I, you know, I need my phone for everything. You forget God in a situation. What happens? You don't even notice. The reality is, is our phones have more of a power and an influence in our life than God. That is just a reality in which we live. And we are deceived when we believe that. We forget Him. We forget the fact that He controls all of our lives. Um, To me, the image that I kind of had in my head was, it's like wanting to go sailing and so we're going to go sailing, and so we're going to get our bathing suits, we're going to get our sunscreen, we're going to maybe get some navigation maps, we're going to get all this stuff to go sailing, and we go, yet we never check the weather during hurricane season. And if you did that, you'd be a fool, because the greatest power and the greatest variable out there is the one thing you don't take into account. And you're like, but I've made my plans, I'll be fine. You're like, you fool, the weather That's the dominant force. And that's how we go about making our decisions. We get all of our little things together and we don't consult the Almighty God. James calls it evil, arrogant. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears in a little time and then vanishes. That is a fantastic image. You can see it now in the morning when it gets cool and you go outside and you breathe and there's that vapor for just a second and it disappears. It's gone like that. God says, that's who you are. You're just, you're just a vapor. You, you, you vanish. Um, a couple of weeks ago, one of my friends died. Uh, Lauren and I, we were actually um, taking a hike at Red Mountain uh, Park. We had gotten to the scenic overlook of the city, and I got a phone call right there um, saying one of my friends, he was a former boss of mine. He paid a lot of my way to go through seminary and things like that. He loved the Lord. He lived a remarkable life in the military. He started his own business. He was supporting his, not only his immediate family, but all of his extended family as well. The man just left what I would see as a huge footprint. And yet after I got the call and I told Lauren and we're looking out, I'm like, nothing changed. I was like, nothing changed. Life is just is continuing to go on. I remember that my dad died when I was in college, and the week after he died, I was back at the University of Georgia in class, and I remember looking around at people ticked off because they were just going through life. It's like, don't, don't you understand? My dad died. The world should stop, but the world doesn't stop. It never stops. We are just a vapor. All of us have a very short, limited time in this world, and it's gone. And the reality is, the most important great kings, they die. Kingdoms perish. Shoot, mountains over thousands of years erode and turn to nothing. Stars are born, fizzle out. Galaxies pull together and then dissolve. Everything fades away except for the Lord. And if you don't want to fade away, what James is saying is you better hold on to that. The one eternal thing. Whenever I'm starting to feel really proud of my accomplishments, like I'm actually really doing something, or, uh, or the opposite, when I feel like everything's just about to fall apart, I meditate on this one thing. God has been around forever. And I let it be just more than an idea. I just think, you know what? A hundred years ago, there was God. A thousand years ago, there was God. A million years ago, there was God. A billion years ago, there was God. And, and you just, and like, that's not the tip of the iceberg. It's just, it's endless. And when you start thinking about it, you're like, whoa, I am nothing. And why am I worried when that God is for me? Why am I worried? Or why am I so arrogant? Verse 15. James says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We like to think that it's by our great efforts um, that we're a self-made man. I, I, I fall into that trap all the time. I am who I am because I enjoy all the things I enjoy because I worked really hard for it. And that 
is an absolute fallacy. The reality is this. The things that made you most who you are, you had nothing to do with. Nothing. Uh, Your gender. You didn't really have anything to do with your gender. Um, When you were born, you weren't born in the dark ages. You were born in the 21st century with all the opportunities here. Where you were born, you weren't born in a hut in Haiti. All right, with with maybe sick parents who are going to die. All right, you you were born here in the U.S. with with opportunity. You weren't born into whatever social status you were in. That that was given to you by the Lord. You didn't develop, uh, you know, your mental capacity was given to you as well. All of these things, your health, the things that have shaped you more than anything else come from God. And yet we deceive ourselves and we think, I am who I am because I have worked hard for it. And we're going to look at that some next week when it comes to wealth. The reason we can be so generous with our wealth is because we did nothing to earn it. None of those big things that we always think about. Nothing. Everything that happens to us happens to us through the sovereign grace of God. And that's what James is reminding us about. And to think otherwise is arrogant. I think one of the places that illustrates this well in Scripture is Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus is tempted. Uh, Most people kind of, I think, misunderstand some of those temptations, but we'll we'll look at the first one. Jesus is fasting 40 days, 40 nights, all right? Uh, Supernatural fast, don't try it. Um, And he's in the desert, and it's hot, and he is hungry, as, as only you can imagine. And so Satan comes to him, and says, hey, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And most of us, we, we kind of look at that in a general sense of, we're not so much to be hungry for bread, we're to be hungry for the word. That, that is a interpretation of that. that is, um, that's, you would get a, a C minus, okay, if, if you held on to that. It's partially correct, but it's certainly not the full thing. What Jesus is doing is declaring an absolute trust and dependence in the sovereignty of God here. He's saying, Satan, you are trying to deceive me and think that if I eat bread, it is due to the bread that makes me live. That that's how I'm surviving. That's how I'm breathing is because of food. But let me tell you, it's not by bread alone. It's by every, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm alive when God says, live, for no other reason. And as long as God keeps saying, live, you will live, then I don't have to depend on anything else. So don't, don't try to take my trust into something material when my trust rests, needs to rest completely in the sovereignty of God. You would get an A, A plus, all right, if, if, if that was your answer. That's what he's declaring is a total trust in Jesus. And let me tell you, all Scripture, all throughout the Bible, just points to the Lord's sovereignty. 1 Chronicles 29, you rule over all. Job 23, 13 says, whatever the Lord desires that he does. Job 42 says, I know that you could do all things that... No plan of yours can be thwarted. 
Psalm 115 says, our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. Psalm 135 says, the Lord does whatever he pleases, both in the heavens and on the earth, the sea and in their depths. You get to Jeremiah 32, it says, ah, sovereign Lord, you created the heavens and the earth by your outstretched arm and by your mighty power. Nothing is too difficult for you. Proverbs 16, 4. It's like there, that uh, you work out all things for your own end. 16.8, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 21, it says that the king's heart is like uh, channels of water in the Lord's hands. He directs it wherever he wishes. Proverbs 21.30, it says that there is no plan, there is no wisdom, there is no insight that, that can succeed against the Lord. Daniel 4. It says that uh, your dominion or your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion uh, is from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing before you. You do what you will with the powers of heaven and the peoples on earth. Nobody can hold back your hand and say, what have you done? You know, Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet I tell you, not one of them falls to the ground apart from um, my Father's will. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Matthew 19, God says, or Jesus says, All things are possible with God. Romans 11, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Nothing is apart from God. Ephesians 1.11, he works all things together in conformity with the counsel of his will. 3.20, he could do more, exceedingly more than we can ask or even imagine. Uh, one of my favorites, Hebrews 1.3, which is what Jesus uh, was thinking here, is that, uh, oh gosh, he sustains all things according to the power of his word. And then you come here to James 4. He's like, don't say, I'm going to do such and such. Say, if the Lord wills, you will live. Your every breath is dependent upon the will of your Lord Jesus. Every breath. And live your life accordingly. He says, if you don't do that, it's arrogance. It's evil. How much time we have? Are y'all good? I don't. I, I have no clue where we are. All right. This kind of poses an interesting problem. Um, afterwards, you, you you can ask some more questions about it. Maybe we will have a Q and A time. I can do whatever I want. All right. <laughs> That's right. Lord, Lord willing, I can do whatever I want. That just was the exact opposite of everything I've been preaching. <laughs> I can do whatever I want up here. Uh, there's an interesting you know, thought in just thinking, the Lord wills, and we have to always say the Lord wills. Well, can we ever make plans? If everything's completely dependent on the sovereignty of God, there's this temptation for us to be like, well, why do anything? Why make plans? Should we just, you know, just sit and let the Lord do his will? And, and the Bible's answer to that is absolutely not. Um, it says that, yes, God's will is absolutely sovereign. Also, yes, that you are free to make choices. It's, it's both there. Um, the biblical view of what I would say is the sovereignty of God and predestination is so much more um, deep and nuanced than, uh, than any other religion or any other philosophy out there. 
because it's not deterministic or fatalistic in which um, would just keep you from ever getting out of bed. If you're like, every decision I make, it all depends on me. It all depends on me. I've got to get it just right or my life is doomed. All right, your, your life would be doomed, all right? You have messed up so many times that if, if the outcome of your life was dependent upon your decisions, you're messed up. But if you flip that the other way and think, well, nothing is based on my decisions because the Lord's will is going to be established, and you're like, well, why should I get out of bed too? His will is just going to be done. And the Bible has this very nuanced view, and uh, you know, it's Proverbs 16.8. It's the mind of man plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps. The mind of man plans his ways. The decisions are yours. They're absolutely yours, and you're free to make them. And yet, the outcome of it is absolutely the will of God. Something He has ordained. You are free to make decisions, but you know what? The outcome is absolutely in the Lord's hands. And you see this at play over and over again throughout the Bible. Let me give you just two places. Um, one, you see it with Noah, Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, the Lord told Noah, I'm not going to do this anymore. And just so you know, there will always be a springtime and there will always be a harvest. So Noah gets promised there will always be food on the table. There will always be a harvest. Do you know what the first thing Noah did after he heard that? So he got a plow, and he started gardening. He started planting seed for food. It was not, I hear the promise of God, and I hear his sovereign declaration, and now I just get to sit and just watch whatever grows up, grows up. It says, I have heard God's sovereign declaration, and now I'm going to joyfully work to make it happen. You see that over and over again in the Bible. We, when we were going through our series in Acts, I, I, maybe I stopped a chapter before I should have, but in Acts 27, Paul is on a ship, and uh, there's a horrible storm that hits the ship. They all think they're about to die. Um, so an angel appears to Paul and says, hey, you're not going to die. This is from the Lord. Um, you're going to be saved. Everybody on this ship is going to be saved. And you're going to appear before the emperor. So, I mean, he gets, he knows the will of God. It has just been revealed to him. But he doesn't just sit after that. Up to that point, Paul hasn't been really doing anything. But now he hears the sovereign will of God that you will be saved. Now he starts giving orders. He's like, hey, hey, everybody. God has declared we're going to be saved. And what you need to do is you need to cut off the anchor. We're going to, we're going to drift. We're going to run this ship into the ground, into the beach. It's going to be bad but we're going to be alive. Uh, hey, sailors, uh, prisoners, what you need to do is you've been rationing your food. Don't. Everybody eat right now. You need all of your strength for what's about to come. He starts giving orders, not being still. And this is what the sovereignty of God does to us. When, when we know His will and when we know He is in absolute control, it doesn't cripple us to not make any decision. It gives us freedom to joyfully run with it. Joyfully go. Knowing even if we screw up, you know what? It's not going to affect God's plan. It won't affect what he has declared. All right, we're good. 
question that I had when I was reading through this is I fail at this, so what happens? I think everybody here fails at this. We don't make God central in everything. There's some things that we do make central. Um, Usually, instead of us seeing ourselves as a vapor in a mist, we usually see God as a vapor in a mist. He's real here for a second, we leave, and then he vanishes. A lot of times we're convicted about some things, how to make him central, but then he vanishes. So what happens when we forget? Does God forget about us in return? And the answer is no. Look at two places in Scripture. Look at Isaiah 44, if you would. I spent almost 10 years of my life reading a little bit from Isaiah 40 to 49 every day. Um, I would highly recommend that and understanding the the sovereignty of God and how that impacts our lives. And watch me probably get the verse wrong after saying that. No, it's, it's Isaiah 44, 21. First, we are commanded to remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Do you notice what the cloud and the mist is now? The vapor? God says, it's not us. He says, nope, I've, I've made it your sins. Your sins were once before me and now they've dissolved. I remember those no more, but I remember you. Go to Isaiah 48. We're going to do 49. They all blend together. Yeah, much better. Sing for joy, oh, sorry, verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget... Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What a verse. Isaiah puts a situation that we would just say would never ever happen. Like a mom forgetting about their child that's nursing. You're not going to forget that, okay? No mother is going to do that. But he says... Even these may forget. It's like, it is, these, that's a possibility. And we're like, it's not really a possibility. It might be this much of a possibility. But he says, it's a possibility. You know what is absolutely not a possibility that I could ever forget you. Why? Because I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. 
All I have to do is look at my son. All I have to do is look at his nail-pierced hands. And I see you. And I see how you, he has been forsaken that, that you might never be. All we have to do is look to the cross and the love of Jesus and we will remember the love of God towards us and that He will never leave us. And when we think about those things, it affects every little thing in life. And that's what James is saying here. Like, the Lord hasn't forgotten about you. Don't forget about Him in every little decision you make. Seek to honor Him. Pray with me. Lord, once again, I do pray that my words will fall and drift away and Your words would remain. Lord, thank You for the truths that we have looked at. Lord, there is a heavy joy in contemplating Your sovereignty. God, right now through your spirit, I pray that you would press that in. We want to delight in you in all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.